Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. The Dakar Rally giveth and the Dakar Rally taketh away. Two stages in and what a contrast we've seen between the two stages. Welcome back to Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, the special Dakar Rally edition with Toyota Gazoo Racing. And uh, we are heading towards stage three. We currently find ourselves in Neom. It's dubbed the Future City. Uh, we had a very nice hotel. We haven't quite got to Neom just yet. Though. I think we're on the outskirts because city's pretty much yet to be built. So I'm joined by the usual suspects, uh, Ben Constantaduros and Voldu van der Vol. Voldu couldn't quite make it last night. Good to have you back in the hot seat, Vice. Yeah, it's very nice to be here. And um, I'd like to quickly point out that the city of Neom is very new and so is the, uh, the resort hotel, if you can call it that, that we're staying at. Most of the guys were quite surprised when you have a look on uh, Google Earth, all that you can see um, are dunes, a sea of dunes, yet here we are. And it doesn't look too bad. Food's good. It's pretty cold outside, though. Yeah, it's freezing outside, but what a place. Uh, the Royal Tulip, uh, I think it's called. And if you ever are in the Saudi Arabian region around here, near Neom, I suppose by the time the city is built, uh, you'll have a host of hotels to find. But this one is right up there, one of the better ones that I have stayed in. And I'm on uh, right on the shore of uh, the Red Sea, so that's really nice, Ben. Yeah, we're not too far away from Egypt or Jordan. Uh, although, if we were in Neon, we'd be a lot closer. Uh, that is definitely going to be a very good hub for Ferris people. But as you say, Google it. Uh, Google here. And uh, it doesn't exist on Google. There's just a few tracks. And when you gave me your location this evening, I was walking in the desert from my room. <laughs> well, uh, it's a really nice place, but I tell you, one man who is sleeping better than most is Janil de Villiers. What a performance from the South African, winning his first stage since 2018. I remember it was the very final stage of that Dakar, which he, he went on to win. Uh, last year, he couldn't quite manage to do that, but this time around, as early as the second stage, and what a way to bounce back, Voldu, because day one was certainly a depressing one for him. Not so today. Well, you know, he said it himself, good days and bad days on the Dakar Rally, and um, from a very bad one to a very good one. It was almost a surprise for all of us, not because we doubt his abilities, but, you know, he pulled off as the 14th car into the stage this morning, and, and he seemed quite negative um, when we spoke to him before the start. You know, Janil is one of those middle-of-the-road people. He, he doesn't really wear his heart on his sleeve, but he's still a little bit under the weather and a little bit disappointed after the opening day. And then as the day progressed, it's difficult to follow someone that's so far down the order because obviously the times of the, the front runners come through first and they move from waypoint to waypoint. So it's difficult to track his progress. Um, and towards the end of the stage, we, we realized that, um, hang a bell, this guy's actually got the pace and it looks like he's going to win it and that's exactly what happened in the end. Yeah, it's very difficult to follow the Dakar rally from our perspective because I can imagine people sitting at home think that we've got a bird's eye view on proceedings. But we, more often than not, actually know less than people sitting at home because they've got access to telecommunications non-stop, the internet, etc. Well, we are going from spectator point to spectator point and it was the final spectator point. And I think you pointed out, Ben, you said, hey, hold on a sec. 
Janil's in the running, and if we see him come flying through soon, he's going to be right up there. And, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I had a little chat with uh, Dave Richards, who uh, head of ProDrive, head of Aston Martin Racing, who's uh, here wrecking uh, for potentially entering into the Dakar in a few years' time. And uh, he's brought a couple of the team that will be in part, uh, including the marketing director of a big marketing company in London. And he said, oh, you know, how do you know what's going on? And I said, well... Do you know what? I was standing with Glyn Hall at the end of stage one and none of us, even the team principal of Toyota Guzzi Racing, had no idea what had happened to his drivers on the stage, why they'd stopped. We were speculating because a short time stop means that perhaps that's a tyre change. A longer one means uh, that there's a mechanical problem. And if they're moving but going around in circles, uh, then that's uh, obviously getting lost. We do not have a clue. There are a couple of people in Dakar HQ that actually do have a GPS tracking map that shows every single vehicle moving around. And actually, that's free to use on the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge, the Morocco Rally. They all open that up to the public. Here on the Dakar, though, secrets. It's all secrets. They don't tell us a thing, and it's incredibly hard. You might find it hard at home, but it's just as hard for us to follow. Well, it's hard, but it's also um, a surprise. You know, it's like getting a present at the end of the day. Yeah, it was today, right? <laughs> Absolutely, it was a good one today. Yeah, it, it really was good. And, and I'm so happy for Janil because obviously we go back a long way. The Toyota Gazoo Racing outfit, the media outfit that, that we are and Janil, and, and of course us being from South Africa. Sorry, Ben. Um, it, it's a little closer to home than most, but especially after the disappointment of day one. And this is a guy who's done it all, he's seen it all, and we keep on using the, the great symmetry. Could we see him win the very first Dakar taking place in Saudi Arabia like he did over in, in South America back in 2009? Well, all I can say is there's 10 more stages to go and you anything can down. happen. <laughs> yeah, set, settle down, big boy. <laughs> it's early days yet and anything can happen. You know, on the Dakar, we've seen, um, like Murray Walker used to say, anything can happen and it usually does. Um, yeah. Anything can happen. Uh, Mario D'Souza, after day one, was throwing his hands in the air. We, we spoke to him last night. Going, oh, it's all over for Janil. It's not possible. He can't do it. He's 23 minutes back. Well, look now. He's only 14 minutes back. He's in sixth position. And that's the kind of gap that we saw uh, just, it just disappear today. Um, there were so many issues for so many of the top drivers. Once again, there was navigational issues with this new robot system. Didn't seem to trip them up quite as much as uh, we were expecting. But even Matthew Bommel had one small issue where he lost 10 minutes. And an interesting story you were saying about Alex Harrow kind of being very firm with Janil and saying, no, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn back. We need to go a different route. Yeah, that's exactly what did take place because they got lost once or twice. And when I say lost, it, it, they didn't actually get lost. They went, of course, for a, a couple of meters because immediately Alex said, no, 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 hold on a sec. Let's turn around. And uh, why am I explaining this? Why don't we just let the man himself uh, tell it all? This was Janil immediately after uh, him coming through at the bivouac and claiming at stage two. Yeah, I mean... I know this. It happens like this in the Dakar. You know, you can have a very bad day, and then uh, next day you can have a very, very good day. Um, it's just to, uh, you know, the way you limit your bad days and uh, limit the time loss. But uh, for sure, uh, really nice day. Uh, we just had to stop uh, with Bernard to give him some tyres because he ran out of tyres. So, cost us a minute or two. But um, um, you know, otherwise, really good day. Alex did a really good job on the navigation because it is so, so tricky out there. 
um, and you have bikes going all over the place so you can get confused uh, quite quickly but yes no car ran really good and um, let's see what tomorrow brings it's a cliche it's not a sprint it's a marathon and I mean you've, you know this race uh, better than most people and uh, what made today so special and, and why did you manage to overcome obstacles that others uh, managed to struggle with no, like I said, Alex did a really good job today. You know, we made two crucial calls. Uh, we went down the wrong valleys where the other guys went, but we turned down very quick, turned around very quickly, realized uh, the cap was wrong, and uh, went on the, the right ones, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, that this can be the difference between winning and losing at the end of the day. So uh, all credit to him. He made the right calls at the right times. Um, and yeah, we didn't have any punctures today. We were lucky. We hit some rocks today where I thought I was going to have a puncture, and I didn't. Uh, yesterday I didn't feel like I hit something, but I got a puncture, so this is the way it goes. But uh, like I said, you know, at least we're back in the game and a um, uh, long way to go and we'll see, uh, we'll try and do our best tomorrow again. Mentally, what it's like getting over the disappointment of yesterday to the highs of today? No, well, the best thing you can do is uh, win the stage the next day and, um, you know, make some time back, is which, uh, what is which we did. and. Um, yeah, we, we're really happy with today, but uh, like I said, you know, it's still a long way to go and we need to stay focused. What do you make of Saudi Arabia? Two stages in. It's, is the terrain that you expected to encounter or throwing some surprises uh, here and there? There's certainly a lot more rocks here than we thought. Uh, you really have to be uh, wide awake all the time, um, but stages are much more technical than I thought at the beginning. So uh, a good spread and a, and a good mix. So uh, organizers did a great job. Punches, punches for many of our top runners. And let's just run quickly through uh, the results of the top 10 from today's stage then. Janil de Villiers taking the victory. Uh, and he was, uh, he led by just under four minutes, Orly Terranova in the mini, who now takes the lead of the rally after two stages. Sheikh al Kasimi in his Peugeot, five minutes 45 back in third position. And then uh, Mathieu Serradori in fourth position uh, in his century. Nasser al was fifth position with three punctures, 11 minutes 46 back. And that mistake from Mathieu Bommel, he reckons it cost him 10 minutes. So three punctures and NASA only lost one minute 46, fixing all three of those. Uh, Carlos Sainz in sixth position in his uh, mini buggy, 13.05 back. Yazid Al-Raji actually should have really won the stage. He was leading up to the last waypoint, made an error at the end and dropped to seventh, 13 and a half back ahead of fellow countryman Yazid Seydan. A good day uh, for the Saudi Arabian eighth, 16.44 back. Uh, Jerome Pelichet in ninth and then the winner from yesterday, Zala, 10th, dropped 20 minutes. Where was Peter Hansel? Down in 12th position with steering issues where is Ten Brinker four punches and had to borrow a tyre from Janil Davidis what a, what a day yeah I spoke to Bernard immediately after he came through to the bivouac and he the first thing he said to me I asked how was the day and he said before we say anything I need to say thank you thank you thank you Janil because he saved our lives today maybe overstated it a little bit but he certainly saved the race Valdi he certainly did, and what a pleasure for Janil to be able to hand over a spare or two or three because he didn't suffer a single puncture today. So um, he certainly had plenty to give, and there was only 20 k's to go. So it, it was certainly good timing um, in terms of Bernard needing something. 
Yeah, people listening out uh, to hear the name of Fernando Alonso in that top 10. Uh, unfortunately, it was not to be. I tell you what, for, for a lot of the day's uh, stage, uh, it looked as if it very well could be. Never mind top 10. We're talking top 5, top 3. Yeah, I think I saw him in second position at one waypoint. Uh, really flying, good pace, early doors. And then he was... He was overtaking lots of the guys uh, that started ahead of him. He got into the dust of Eric Van Loon in a Toyota. And for 120 kilometers, he reckoned, he followed him in the dust, uh, caught a rock in the dust that he didn't see, uh, which broke uh, his front left suspension. And then the story began because he had to take off that suspension arm and then refit a new one that was fitted to the car. So they carry lots of spares. He had the right spare, but it seemed to be a really tricky fix. Yeah, Voldy, it's not just a case of fixing a car. I mean, Ben mentioned it. You've got the equipment, but it's a matter of knowing how to use the equipment. Well, it's also that, but remember that these cars don't break for nothing. You need to hit something pretty damn hard to break something to the point where, you know, you can't continue. So once it's that badly broken, it's usually bent out of shape and things get melded together and getting the the car apart in pieces so that you can replace the spare parts is probably the biggest part of the challenge. Um, And that's really what set them back today. They really struggled to get the upright out of the um, out of the wheel hub. And it was it was hours lost um, in the process. Yeah, it was. I think he's lying at around 46th overall, uh, two and a half hours uh, off the pace. Uh, That's a massive, massive gap uh, so early in the race. But again, he's joined the Dakar. He has. He's certainly got a taste for it now, and he's got a taste for the worst of it as well. The thing is that for him, it's turned from a race into an adventure at this point. Um, he, he was racing earlier and now he's out on an adventure and it probably takes a bit of pressure off him. And I, I'm, I'm willing to wager a little bit of money, South African Rand, so it's very little actually, that we'll see him uh, post the top five uh, stage times towards the end of the race, certainly now that there's less pressure on him. Yeah, and the aim for him now is definitely to finish the rally and to get that Dakar finish under his belt. I said it to you a little bit earlier on, uh, Dakar respects no Formula One title, no Le Mans title, no WEC championship. It doesn't care if you're a politician or a business owner. It is you versus the sand. And unfortunately, Fernando has fallen foul of that. And it doesn't sound like he did much wrong, to be fair. It just sounds like he was in the wrong place, wrong time. Interesting, because Fernando Alonso yesterday, having completed his first stage in the deck, I expected this full-on media contingent to be waiting for him, and that certainly was the case. Today, however, it was a completely different affair. Knowing what had taken place and knowing that uh, we'd only be seeing him a couple of hours after the majority of the drivers managed to get through, Voldu, it was uh, fairly chaotic down at the Toyota Gazoo Racing Bivouac today. It, it was absolutely chaotic, so much so, in fact, that I tried to hide away. Uh, so <laughs> ben didn't. I got myself stuck in, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I got, got my uh, got my muscles out. By the way, I'm not muscly at all, so it was absolutely disastrous. But they did listen, uh, and I think what was uh, what was very very interesting was as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, the media know nothing either, and so all they knew was the little bit of text that the Franglay person had written saying that Alonso would stop for 20 minutes. They didn't know why. And it continued, and it continued. They didn't know if he was going to be picked up by his T4 truck. They didn't know if he was fixing himself. There was no information. So the only information they get is to come down and speak to the man himself when he gets back to find out what happened. That's the nature of the rally. So he did manage to get back, and I managed to catch up with him immediately after setting foot out of the car. 
Yeah, it was not a, not a good day uh, for results and uh, for time-wise. It was a good day for feeling. I think we, we felt fast and uh, Mark was spot on on the navigation and everything was uh, going quite smooth. So, you know, good day in terms of feeling, bad day in terms of result because we lost uh, hours, you know, changing the, the front end. And uh, of course, Dakar is known as the world's toughest race. After two stages, do you agree? No. And I mean, the, the, the rally is okay. When you see, you have no moment. Then uh, when you are behind cars and you have no visibility, then uh, you, you find surprises here and there. So I don't think that the rally is tough in terms of uh, the nature of the terrain. I think it's tough for the body because it's 12 days, there is not much sleep, etc. So in the second week, in the second week I think it's going to be uh, demanding physically. But in terms of uh, you know this kind of problems, it is nothing to do with the car. And Janil De Villiers, a very good performance from him. Must be happy for your teammate winning the stage. Yeah, fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm super happy. I'm, uh, I'm a good friend of Janil, and uh, you know he helped me a lot. And uh, you know if I can help him in the next couple of days, if I'm able to help him, uh, it will be my my pleasure. It's amazing that second question. I, I expected him to just stop after no. When I asked him, is it the toughest race in the world? No. And then he did elaborate it, and he made sense. I would like to know what is then. If this is not the toughest race in the world, you know, at Le Mans, he's sitting in a car in a very comfortable seat with power steering. And yes, it's fast. And yes, the, the track is a little bit bumpier than the usual racetrack. But that's chilled, isn't it? And IndyCar, yeah, you're going really fast, but you, you stop every 15 minutes for a break behind the safety car for a while. Formula One isn't tough at all. Monaco probably it is, but not like the old days. This is still proper motorsport. This is still proper raw motorsport. I cannot believe for two seconds that he doesn't think this is the hardest thing in the world. I, I think it's because he's, it's a bit of a lock, isn't it? He's getting introduced to an entirely new way of racing. And, and, and I don't think he's grasped it completely. No, clearly yet. not. He doesn't actually receive, seem to no. see it at all. He's got bags of talent and he can drive a motor car, but I think he's got a lot to learn. And I think we, if we ask him the same question in a couple of days' time, the answer might well be yes. Well, uh, I definitely will after stage 12, hoping that he will be. And I'm pretty certain that he will still be in the mix. Uh, that's uh, the question that I will be posing to him. And will Fernando Alonso have changed his mind with regards to the Dakar rally? It's his first time experiencing the Dakar. Another man who's experiencing it for the first time is Andrew Mulligan, who's uh, a long-time colleague of ours who's just joined us. Uh, Andrew, uh, you just finished editing a, a show that you've been working very closely with, with Ben. Um, but how have you enjoyed Dakar so far? Well, it's, uh, it's been a bucket list for me for many, many, many years, and uh, eventually I got the opportunity to. So uh, here I am at my first Dakar and absolutely loving it. And uh, how's it like uh, working so closely with Ben? You guys <laughs> share a car, you share a camera, you share a room, you share a bed. Bloody awful. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He's a, he's a true professional and uh, really, really easy to work with him and uh, he knows his stuff and uh, he's got a great idea in his head and we both go with it and uh, he's a really good producer and a very, very, very good presenter at the same time. What we are sharing is illness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. both of us are getting the flu and... Uh, Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> we're loving it. That's the sound of my chair scraping as I move further back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one thing about uh, Mr. Mulligan here is he doesn't... He prefers vehicles with less wheels than we do. He doesn't like the four-wheel vehicle. He's a man of two wheels, and he's very, very happy today. 
Yeah, we've got uh, our Southern African, uh, Botswana, actually. Uh, Ross Branch, he took uh, the victory today in uh, Stage 2 of the Dakar. And wow, that is something else. To be amongst uh, the names that are out there and to take the victory is something very special. Yeah, Ross came and popped around to the Toyota Kazoo Racing Bivouac uh, to say his hellos. And we said plenty of congratulations. And, and Voldu, we worked out a magnificent piece of uh, what what synergy you could yeah, say. Yeah, everything just seemed to align for the two Southern African crews. Well, he's a bit of a solo crew, but they both started as the 14th um, rider and driver into the stage this morning. Uh, they both won the stages, that's Janil and Ross, and as a result, both of them went up from 14th to 6th place. So um, you, you couldn't script that if you tried. Not at all. And, and what a nice guy. Yeah, super nice guy. I met him for the first time uh, at the briefing uh, on uh, the day, well, I was about to say, on day minus one. That is one of the weirdest things about the Dakar. There are day minus three, day minus two, day minus one, zero. I don't think there's a zero, but there's a one. Uh, basically, the scrutineering day. Uh, where, and he was, came up and introduced himself. Very, very friendly guy. Very keen on his motorsport. And obviously, rookie year 13th. Um, uh, top 10 finishes and stages. He's got some serious talent. And the really interesting thing was Toby Price said this was one of the hardest days he's ever been in the Dakar because they were handed their road book 15 minutes before they went to the stage. They could not do any markings themselves. Normally, they would spend all night highlighting everything, crossing bits of information out, changing everything. This morning, they, couldn't, they didn't have the time to do that. They barely had time to put it in the bloody roller. And then they were out into the stage. So for him to win the stage in those kind of conditions... Absolutely remarkable when Toby Price got lost and lost 15. There's no question that we knew how talented he is. Uh, I think he caught uh, quite a few people by surprise. That being said, he did certainly make a name for himself last year. But a little bit more on his background, Andrew. I mean, you've been following his career for, for a number of years. Yeah, we, we've been filming him for many, many years. And uh, he started in motocross and then moved across to off-road nationals in South Africa and immediately showed his talent, immediately came in and won races straight away. I think it was either his first or second year he won the championship. Um, super, super talented guy. And then, obviously, at the desert race in Botswana, where he's from, oh, he just blitzes everyone every single time. He's just so good in the thick sand. It's unbelievable. He's got that relaxed demeanor of a pilot, which is what his full-time profession is. He's a bush, bush pilot. An uh, actual pilot. A, a real pilot. Not, not, a not one of these French pilots. Not a pilot. <laughs> not a pilot. He's a pilot. He flies um, small bush aircraft in Botswana. He knows the terrain very well. But, you know, he's got that relaxed atmosphere about him. Nothing phases him. And somehow he can still think extremely quickly as you need to on a bike. Yeah, it, it was great to see. And, and a great coup for, for Southern Africa. Certainly flying the flag loud and proud or... Southern Africa doesn't have a flag, but uh, certainly flying one for, for the area, so to speak. But, I mean, we know that uh, a fairly talented bunch come from our part of the world. Oh, absolutely. But something I was just thinking of when, when Ben was saying that Toby Price described it as a really difficult stage, we need to generate new law now, now that we've moved to a third continent. I mean, in Africa, there were la the landmarks. You know, it was Elephant Rock and Lac Rose. And in South America, we knew it was the dunes of Copiapo or Fiambala. We have nothing here yet. We don't know where the landmark stages are or the really tricky bits are. It's absolutely exciting, actually. And certainly this will go down in history as, as a tricky day because the very first one on the Dakar where they only got the road book in the morning. They'll have the same again tomorrow with the loop stage Neom Neom. 
But again, they have no chance to prepare. They've had a decent sleep. All the co-drivers were happy about that. They didn't have to spend all night preparing. Uh, but these, they've all got the same roadbook, but the roadbook has a lot of information in it to try to make sure that the riders and drivers are safe. For a rider of a motorcycle, it's almost too much information to digest and react to. In a car, you've got one person reading it, the other person doing. So being on a bike, that's just crazy. And, and you know, th that's a tricky thing to do, to read that road book, to keep it moving, and to keep your bike in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. You know, I spoke to him uh, back in Rally du Maroc, and I said to him, you know, how nervous are you going into it? Because this is where they tried it out for the first time. And I said to him, how nervous are you doing this? And he said, look, my experience in rally racing, I don't have, much, I don't have that much, you know. And uh, for me, it's not that daunting. But for everyone else, it was. So I think that attitude comes across in what he did today as well. Because he just went out there thought, oh, well, I'll just try and make as little mistakes as I can, try and navigate as hard as I can, and, uh, and there we go. He won the stage. Yeah, he came through with flying colours. Interesting setup for tomorrow regarding the stage. We're staying in Neom, but about 400 kilometres that the drivers and riders will be taking on. The biggest feature, however, is that they'll be going over to the border of Jordan. And in doing so, they'll climb the highest that they will do throughout this race, 1,400 metres, Valdu. Absolutely nothing compared to what we yeah. experienced in South America. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, it really is hardly a blip on the radar. Uh, I mean, it, for, for us as a, a Toyota Gazoo racing team, obviously we race with normally aspirated V8 engines who rely on, on thick air to come in and, uh, and power these beasts. And in South America at high altitudes, the poor engines just couldn't breathe. And uh, uh, there were rules written in to give them a bit of breathing space, as it were, with a larger air restrictor at higher altitudes. Over here, we're racing with a 37 mil restrictor, which is pretty much the smallest that we've had in a long time. But there's just no altitude to deal with. So um, I think uh, our crews are pretty happy about what was the challenge? 1,400 meters being the highest point. Uh, we'll take that any day of the week. So we've... We've also got to look at the bikes. They're in a marathon stage as well. So a pretty tough day for them tomorrow, I think, as well. Uh, it, uh, cars are going to have a tough day, but I think the bikes are going to even have a tougher day. Being a marathon stage, they weren't allowed to work on their bikes at all. They could fill it up, put it into Park for May, and that was it. Yeah, it's not as big an effect as what we saw in South America. But that being said, chatting to, to Glenn Hall today, team principal of Toyota Gazoo Racing, he said... They will be at a disadvantage. There's no question. The Toyota Hilux, he said, by about 18%. And he said, and those margins, you know, that could be the difference between a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes. So you really want everything going your way. So while it's not, you're not quite climbing the dunes of Kopiaka, like we've said in the past, uh, it's still going to count against them. Yeah, you're still climbing, right? We're sitting beside the sea, and that sea is at sea level. So they've still got to go from zero to 1,400 meters and back again. Uh, obviously, the back bit's not going to be so disadvantaged, but they are still climbing, and it gives you an idea of perhaps what the road conditions will be like to have to climb 1,400 meters up to that peak. I think we're going to see some pretty sinuous tracks, and perhaps even rockier than we've got. It's, we're not going to have the sand. We're not at base level where the rocks are sticking out the sand. That's just going to be all rock, and it's horrible and spiky, and Danny Chen fell over and, and cut his knee. So, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, he's out tonight because he's nursing that knee. <laughs> I, I can just picture it. Luckily, I didn't see it happening, but Ben is absolutely spot on. We were all working with the footage just a little bit earlier, reviewing the stuff that happened today, 
and in places you can't believe that a car can drive there hardly uh, imagine it racing there and the guys come through there at proper paces still and that explains why the uh, the rubber doesn't last well, we were there today. Never mind looking at the footage. We, we experienced some of it. So we were taking our vehicles all trying to, to get to a spectator point. And, and we were shocked at uh, just how rough it was, Valise. Yeah, at a certain stage, we just said, well, we can't drive here anymore. And that turned out to be pretty much the surface that the race was taking place on. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing for, for me is that when you take the footage, when you watch the 26-minute program or the stuff that we get given, that is just the tiniest, minute section that the TV execs have selected. And because of the history of the Dakar, they like to always select the sandiest bit. So sometimes you don't see these horrific canyons they're trying to squeeze their cars through. And a lot of the photos that we've seen are really horrible, rocky canyons uh, that you may not see on TV, but they're there. What impresses me the most as well is uh, when these guys are driving in the dust, you can see absolutely nothing, and they are still hauling. It, it, uh, it baffles me how they can drive in it. It does say something about the, uh, the mental abilities of a racing driver, <laughs> or, the, or the mentality, certainly, because, um, well, you know, it's uh, just full speed ahead and screw the icebergs, I guess. Yeah, I think that ended up uh, ruining Fernando Alonso's race today. It was that dust because that came in and uh, we, of course, know how that story ended. But, uh, yeah, capturing another victim uh, did the dust. Uh, and hopefully it won't be too many more, especially from Toyota Gazoo Racing side. Well, one guy that won't have too much dust to deal with, of course, tomorrow will be Janil de Villiers. On the flip side, Alex Haru has to uh, sort out that blind road book early in the morning and then pick his way around. So uh, I was thinking about it earlier when we were talking about him. He was quite cocky in a way about his ability to sort things out and and all kudos to him he did a great job today but then they were the 14th car into the stage tomorrow they'll be exactly the first car into the stage and interestingly the one of the reasons why navigation is so tricky here is that a lot of the tracks they're running on are used quite a lot when you go into the middle of the desert in in africa or in argentina you're on a track that has only been driven once by the zero car the day before to check the track. It's the only person that's been and set a track. And sometimes you can see it is covered over a little bit in the sand. These tracks seem to have been used a lot. There are lots and lots of different routes. And so for those early bikers, they're seeing lots of tracks ahead of them. And they have no idea which is the right way, which is the wrong way. And for the cars, it's the same and it's worse. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why NAV at the moment seems to be a problem. And I think uh, with uh, looking at Janil today and uh, Alex in, in his interview basically said, you know, I told him to stop straight away. As soon as we went wrong, immediately I said stop and turn around. And Janil listened. And I think their relationship has grown very quickly in, a, in a quite a short period of time as well. Quick word on Orlando Terranova leading the deck after two stages. Yeah, Orly's always been one of those drivers. You just, you know... He, he, he can surprise you quite, quite a lot. Um, he certainly has the pace. He's, he's proven himself as one of the top drivers over a long period of time. Um, he's got a bit of a history with, uh, with Glenn Hall and the team as well. You know, he was involved in the Nissan days. And, um, and, and kudos to him. He did a really, really good job so far. Yeah, but interesting to see that those uh, buggies did have issues and not just punctures or getting lost with Stefan Pellehansel having a steering issue clearly not quite as strong as the haps they would like and that puts a question mark over the ability to finish this rally we're only two days in and they're already experiencing mechanical issues
So two stages down, 10 to go, plenty still to come in the, the 2020 Dakar Rally here in Saudi Arabia. Sage 3 sees a 400k journey uh, staying in Neom, but they will edge across uh, the Jordanian border. Well, merely touch it um, and uh, climb up to 1,400 meters. But uh, they've encountered so, so much worse in the past. Uh, it should be a cakewalk as far as that's concerned. But uh, there's other elements that they're going to have to deal with uh, like they've been doing up until now. Gents, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll catch up tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thank you. Chat then. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.